The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by Kingsters for Kingsters, Poly, Queer, Trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Featuring personalities as their authentic selves, this is What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. It's an intimate conversation with people inside the kink and fetish worlds, as well as educators, sex-positive personalities, and other amazing people sharing their stories of what makes them who they are. And now, here is our own wonderful human with the questions, John or as he is known around the kink and fetish community. Hi there, Catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to the show. And as we roll into 2023, Dating Kinky's next big event brings you a follow-up to one of the most popular events of 2022. It's not cheating, it's ethical non-monogamy. Better, more, coming up the weekend of January 27th. Three days of presentations on non-traditional relationships and classes on poly, ethical non-monogamy, and so much more. I'm proud to be one of your hosts for the event and hope you'll join us. And coming up this Friday, it is the premiere of FetishCon Friday right here on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. It, there are some special shows leading up to the big event in August as we are proud to be the official podcast of FetishCon. Today's guest has brought the fetish show to life and through his multimedia work honoring the BDSM lifestyle. He's brought a beautiful view of our world through words, lens, pen, and microphone. Dirk Hooper is an award-winning fetish photographer, fine artist, award-winning professional writer, professional illustrator, audio talent, podcasting producer, and host of the Safe Word podcast and Fetish Week. He's a journalist for the fetish community, a BDSM mentor, and does adult personal branding, marketing, and social media consulting for sexy networking. The multi-talented Dirk Hooper on what women and other wonderful humans want. questions that establish the story. Five questions about firsts, bringing back the genesis of the character behind the human. It's the first five, and it starts now. First time you ever used the term dream hard. Oh, wow. Mm, I'm going to say that that was like in the, no, I'm going to say the mid 90s. And um, that that came about. The, look, 
I wrote a lot of emails and stuff <laughs> and I could put what everyone else says, which is, you know, whatever, sincerely or thank you or whatever the deal is. And I thought, you know, I want to do something different. And so I thought really long and hard. And uh, I came up with Dream Hard because my entire inside the BDSM industry and outside the industry, it's all pretty much wrapped up in, you know, creating worlds and telling stories. And I also think that a lot of people forget how important it is to kind of follow your dreams. And so I came up with Dream Hard because I want to encourage people to follow their dreams. First time you ever put pen or brush to paper mm. to create a fetish image. What was it and what inspired you to do it? I've been both writing and drawing since I was six, year, six years old. Um, that's obviously not fetish stuff back then. My The first thing that I ever drew was Spider-Man in the Star Wars universe, which strangely enough, kind of became a thing about 30 or 40 years later. <laughs> um, and so you can kind of see the idea of where I came from. Um, I would say that when I first did real writing and drawing for fetish stuff, it was my own fantasies that I put down. Um, just kind of thinking about scenes or scenarios. I'd say I was about 13 years old. That was about the time that I put kind of a word, you know, I, I discovered the phrase BDSM and I started reading the Marquis de Sade and that sort of stuff. And so, you know, I was, I've always been writing and drawing. And so naturally, if it's my fantasies, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. Those things have never been seen. I've never shown those, those pictures, you know, and those stories, but they go back to when I, in my early teens. First time you ever looked at an image in the back of your camera and said, I got the perfect shot. Mm. I, in the early 2000s, I, uh, a friend of mine and I created a group called Toxic Goddess, which was a, a modeling group. And during that period of time, I mean, I'd gone to college earlier and had, you know, learned how to take photos and stuff, but it, it was never, you know, great stuff. When I first started shooting with um, strobe lights and started experimenting with that group, that was the first time that I looked in there and it's like, ah, now I have finally arrived at where, you know, I, I, would, I don't think I've still taken the perfect photo, but that was the first <laughs> time I took a picture and I thought, oh, this is professional. You know, I was proud of it was during that time. And I'd say, you know, early to mid 2000s, I'd say. First time you realized that bringing people together in this industry was a passion for you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I got into the BDSM community about 1995 and, you know, really deeply enjoyed it. And I think around the early 2000s, a bunch of stuff came together for me and I realized that uh, it was also the time when the internet was kind of becoming a big thing. And it, it didn't take me long to realize that that the difficulties that I had getting into the industry or, or not in the industry, but into the, the scene um, was something that I wanted to help others with. 
and that I had a platform through, you know, photography and more recently through writing and through art. And, uh, you know, all of the stuff that I do is directed not only at the community, but also outside the community for people who are interested or people who want to get into the community. And I, I would say that it took me about five years to really get into that. And almost everything that I do, besides just wanting to express myself, has the underlying, you know, like the subtext of, hey, let's let's bring people together. Let's educate. Let's inform uh, to make it easier for the next Dirk that comes along and goes, what the heck is this? I got to know more. You know, hopefully I can help guide them into that. Your first podcast guest and how you got them to say yes. Oh, this, this was an easy, the, the guy who, the guy who I was in the toxic goddess group with was doing an art show. And I finally decided that I wanted to start doing some interviews. And so I asked him, it was an easy get because, you know, that's a guy that I know really, I've, I've at that time had known for about 15 years and now I've known for like 30 years and, um, you know, it was, it was easy to get him to, to do an interview about his art show. Uh, so yeah, he was my first guest. Recently celebrating 20 years in this great industry, Dirk Cooper is our guest and we will continue after this. We do this show without paid advertisers and provide it to you as a labor of love. If you want to help the show, as well as contribute to Catsuit's conference fund to get live interviews and teach some amazing classes, you can give at bit.ly slash thanks, Catsuit. Now let's hear from some of Catsuit's friends with some messages for you. Are you curious about kink but don't know where to begin? <laughs> or maybe you have a friend who, while they appreciate your interest in BDSM, they don't really understand what it's all about. You should check out Kink for the Curious. It's a fun little activity book with color pages and word finds, lots of silly puns, <laughs> uh, but lots of solid BDSM and kink information written by somebody who's been in the business for almost 30 years. Kink for the Curious, a BDSM activity book for beginners written by Princessa Natasha Strange, that's me, <laughs> is available on Amazon. Go get it now. Welcome to the Yoniverse. I'm Scarlett. And I'm Anya. The Flaming Yoni podcast is a celebration of the beautiful and unique expressions of female sexuality. From asexual to megasexual, from lifelong monogamy to relationship anarchy, from deep spiritual bonds of sacred union to spur the moment flames. It is all infused with Yoni energy. Search for the Flaming Yoni on your favorite podcast platform. You will not leave the same as when you came. Have you ever dreamed of a house that is kink-friendly in every room? Have you ever wanted a getaway where your every desire is contained within steps? In Cincinnati, Ohio, the Wanton Sinners B&B is now open. 
two kink-equipped bedrooms, a fully equipped basement dungeon, and a living room with cages and restraint points throughout. And you can leave your toy bag at home because every space comes with plenty of toys and restraints. Visit Wanton Sinners on FET and follow the links to the Airbnb and Verbo listings. The Wanton Sinners B&B in Cincinnati, where your dreams have a home. The Heart of the Dominatrix. Portraits and Interviews of Exceptional Mistresses. This book is about female domination. This book is about dark corners, both physically and psychologically. This book is for you, whether you're a beginner or have decades of experience with BDSM. If you're eager to learn more about power exchange dynamics or are simply interested in relationships and the aesthetics of this world, this book will change your perspectives. Be warned. Visit heartofthedominatrix.com to order your copy today. We invite you to connect with us on social media so you can follow all the great news about the show. You can find us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1, on Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast, and on FetLife at WWWPodcast. And if you want to follow the host, that's easy, as on Twitter, Instagram, and FetLife, he is Hi There Catsuit. And now back to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Welcome back to the program. Thank you, Nookie, as we are joined by the host of the Safe Word podcast and Fetish Week. Plus, he's an artist. He's a photographer. He is the king of sexy networking. He's man about town and all around debonair guy, Dirk Cooper. <laughs> wow. That's a, that's a pretty great uh, introduction. But I try podcasting has been something I've gotten a chance to hear some of your podcasts and actually see some of them because you do do video. What brought on the passion for that? Podcasting goes back for me to 2005, mm -hmm. which is pretty, pretty early for podcasting. Mm -hmm. um, at the time I was doing a, <laughs> this is, this is deep, deep stuff here. I was doing a group of a friends called the couch pirates and we were doing um you know kind of a comedy politics sports we did all kinds of things under the umbrella of couch pirates and um the the first thing that i started doing on that was just you know shows and interviews uh most mostly just shows because we didn't have we didn't have guests you know, so it was just us acting silly and talking about current topics and that sort of thing. So that's how far back my my podcasting goes. I didn't really get into doing uh, fetish style podcasting until the fetish show. And when that came about, what was the genesis of that? Because obviously that's a big leap. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I had the equipment and I had the knowledge of what it took to do that that sort of thing and definitely had the passion. And again, it, this is a situation where kind of early on, I felt drawn or compelled to, to demystify the community and to, you know, put people in front of the microphone and get it, 
you know, directly from the source, people who knew more than I did about it or who, who were interesting or done different things. Um, you know, it, look, it, as you know, if you're doing interviews with people, you get to talk to the coolest people in the world. It's like mm-hmm. the, it's the most fun that you can possibly have. And there, you know, you get to ask them all the questions that you'd ask them if you were, you know, you happen to meet them in a bar or something and you had an opportunity to say, you know, what, what made you do this? You know, why are you, you know, what is your history like? And, you know, what's your advice for people? Uh, it, it's a wonderful gift to be able to to do this sort of thing. And so, you know, because I had that kind of guiding light and because I had the equipment, you know, I had the stuff there. Um, I also was friends with a woman who decided to become a professional dominatrix. So both of us were kind of branching out at that time. I was, I was doing photography for the BDSM community and she was doing professional domination, literally one of my best friends. And it's like, Hey, why don't we just, you know, why don't we just do a show together? And we ended up doing about five years of the fetish show. Getting to understand that world in that way. I am always amazed as I have continued this podcast how much I don't know. Oh, yes. You think you know, but you don't know. The discovery of BDSM, did it ramp up for you while doing the fetish show, or did you know a lot going into it? No, I, I mean, I st- look, I've written articles for a bunch of different things. I've, I've, I've done these, you know, I've done interviews now for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. Uh, I still don't feel like, I, you know, I know that much. I I feel like I know there are certain things that I think I know really well, but there are other things that I could continue to learn about. Look, BDSM is a wide topic. It's not a very simple thing. And I mean, something like fireplay. What do I know about that? I'm mm-hmm. certainly not an expert about that. I've, you know, kind of participated in it a little bit, but I certainly wouldn't consider myself an expert. I could learn about Shibari. I mean, I could go on all day. We could go on for the next whatever, however minutes about things I don't know. Mm-hmm. Which, which you, When you start talking to other people, you realize just how much you don't know about this stuff. And that's why it's fascinating and, and fantastic to be able to, to, you know, draw from the different points of view about these th- things. The typical question for most novice interviewers is do you have a favorite show (laughs) and of course (laughs) you can't name a favorite show here's how i'm going to spin it okay (laughs) what was the most intriguing show that you've had one that you entered it going this is going to be interesting uh i had an opportunity at, at a at a convention that we went to that was i mean conventions are a great way to get access to people because they're, you know, they got three days off, like just like you do. And you can grab them and say, Hey, let's, you know, let's go do an interview and stuff. I got a, ch- a chance to interview Buck Angel. Um, and this was many, uh, you know, this was 10, 12 years ago, mm-hmm. long before all of the kind of gender identity stuff. If you're not familiar with Buck Angel, Buck is a female to male transsexual who does porn and who has been on television many times, uh, you know, 
10 or 12 years ago, this was not a common subject. And so being able to talk to Buck, I mean, we took pictures together, which was awesome. Uh, some of the photos that I ended up, th this didn't happen when I did the in initial interview, but Buck followed up later on and came into Oklahoma City for a show. And then I ended up getting to do some photos that ended up at the Kinsey Institute um, in their permanent collection. So that was really awesome. But for, for a guy who grew up in Moore, Oklahoma, which is not the fetish capital of the world. <laughs> <laughs> or the fetish state of the world. <laughs> right, exactly. And is, you know, just a, 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 you know, kinky, yes, but also kind of a ordinary guy. Um, you know, to get an opportunity to talk to someone like that, who lives, you know, a very different life than I have, uh, was really special. And also like, you know, what, what am I going to ask Buck? I mean, there's just a lot. Of, and, and so I just, I was just curious. I, you know, I was just respectful and curious about his experience. And, uh, it was, that was really special to, to be able to do that. And particularly at that time and pulling that off, sticking the landing, I felt like I stuck the landing also set me up for everything that I've done now. Cause I kind of feel like, you know, even if I had the president of the United States, I was going to interview him. Um, you know, I feel like I could, I could pull it off. I'd be okay. <laughs> when you got a chance to talk to Buck, obviously it was at a time when language probably failed you. You didn't know how to, identify, I hate to say label, but how to be able to identify people who are in this beautiful world now of non-binary, gender fluid, trans. Obviously, we understood a little bit about what trans was about, but are you just amazed at the development of language and the development of knowledge that has happened in the last 10 years? Oh, I mean, it's, it's stunning. And I'm, again, I'm from Moore, Oklahoma. I have, to, what I have to do is just, I have to just say, look, I am, you know, I want to be as respectful to you as possible. I will make mistakes, but none of the mistakes that I make are intentional. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm ignorant. <laughs> help me, help me say the right things. I, I, you know, I want to say the right things and I'm curious uh, so, you know, hopefully people will cut me a little slack and allow me to, uh, you know, to make some mistakes and, uh, I'll do my best to, you know, pull my weight with this stuff. But yeah, it's stunningly different just in the last five years, mm -hmm. certainly the last 10 years, but both, both with the language and with, I mean, the BDSM community is, uh, incredibly different based on when I entered it and the way it is right now, it's stunning. And it has, um, it has changed radically again in the last five or 10 years. Do you think we're getting to a time when we're on the verge of people going, okay, I get it. That's what they do. Or is it yeah. still miles away? Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, there's two things that are happening at the same two or three things that are happening at the same time. Number one, some of the older folks, which, you know, I mean, I'm not really old, but I'm, you know, I'm getting <laughs> up there. 
And those that are older than me that are maybe a little bit more judgmental and a little bit more stuck in their ways, uh, they're leaving us. They're, they're no longer there anymore, right? And the and the new crowd, the younger, the whatever, I, I, I hesitate to say something that's derogatory. <laughs> Gen Z, um, they don't care about this stuff at all. You know, they, they, I mean, they are as about wide open as it gets. So whenever they grow up and they're my age and stuff, this will be gone. There's no, no doubt about that. But in addition to that, a lot of people decry 50 shades of gray, but 50 shades of gray put BDSM into the hands of soccer moms from, from across the, from coast to coast and around the world. And despite the fact that it was, terrible literature. And despite the fact that it was terrible BDSM, it still democratized BDSM in the eyes of the general public. Instead of being the sort of thing where um, it was the subject of a, of a joke, or it was something that was looked at as being immoral, suddenly people started going, hmm, I wonder what it would be like to be tied up or what it would be like to be spanked or something like that. It's funny you mentioned soccer moms <laughs> because I use a lot of analogies in my life. And I have often said that BDSM is to culture what soccer is to sport. Mm. Where it's starting, it started to get cool and now it's getting cooler. And now people are talking about it in everyday life. Are we going to get to the point where we're Argentina or Brazil or France or Germany <laughs> or Great Britain? I don't know, but it just seems as though the comfort level keeps moving up. I mean, there was a recent study, and I won't be able to quote it, but I can find it, where they basically, instead of saying, are you into BDSM, they put out questions about practices. So they put spanking, bondage, you know, uh, role-playing, that sort of thing into a list of things and, and ask people, do you practice this in your, you know, in your, you know, in your bedroom or whatever. Mm -hmm. And what they discovered from just asking, now this was in Canada, it's not mm -hmm. the United States, but in Canada, they found out that 50% of the people, 50% of the people that they surveyed, half are practicing some type of BDSM. Well, half is, I mean, it's not 51%, but that's pretty much, you know, that's the majority. It's its at least half. Brings a whole new meaning to, oh, Canada. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, so look, it's happening. It is happening. And I, I dare say that it's happened in the last five or 10 years where people are just starting to look at BDSM and they're much more open-minded about it. They're much more, you know, instead of it being the, you know, the joke that, that they, that they say on the late night talk shows or something, instead of laughing at us, they're kind of interested. <laughs> you and I both work in a very intimate medium, which is podcasting, but you work in more intimate media photography, mm. art, where you really have to connect with the person that is your subject. Do you ever find it difficult 
to establish those connections or is it a situation where once you establish the connection, it's hard to forget? Mm. I tell people that, you know, ask about photography, that a good portion of what I do is getting to know someone before we shoot. If you shoot with someone and they are apprehensive, you know, they're holding back, they're, they are, uh, you know, all balled up. You're going to get terrible, terrible photos from these people. And in a lot of cases, much like with a professional dominatrix, you have to, you, you have a short period of time that you have to get to know someone and make them comfortable and find out what they want so that you can get on with doing your, your job. So I've, I mean, almost, I mean, I guess I've been doing this over 20 years now. I can't think of a case where by the end, at least by the end, that people hadn't loosened up. And if they come to me again, then we start right back where we where we were at the end. And it just gets better and better and better. Um, I've made great friends through doing photography for sure. And, you know, part of it is, you know, I like people quite a bit. I wouldn't do photography. I didn't like people. And I kind of, in some ways, you know, you talk about not being able to forget them. I, I, I say that in some ways when I do photography and I do art, I fall in love a little bit with mm -hmm. my subject. Mm -hmm. And I think that unless you're a journalist, unless you're like someone who's trying to capture war scenes or something, I mean, I do glamour and fetish photography and I do, you know, fetish and kink artwork. So I'm trying to bring out the best in my subject. That's, that's my job is to try to make my subject look good. So I have to, you know, sympathize with them and love them a bit so that I can bring out, you know, their truest self in an image. When people talk about falling in love and you talk you about falling in love a bit, that happens to me all the time when I do this show because yeah. this is definitely an intimate medium. The cynical person would go, well, of course, why wouldn't you fall in love? Don't you want to just do something with them? And in that particular case, it's like, no, I want to be their friend. Now, if they were to choose to have a scene with me, I would enjoy that because there's a good connection. Which kind of brings me to the fact that photography works kind of like a scene. There's oh, the sure. negotiation, right? There's what you want to accomplish. There's the feeling, there's the mood. And I would think that, especially with the dominatrices that you work with, they kind of feel that, but instead they're the subject. And I'm wondering if sometimes their vulnerability just mm. comes out when it might not have done that in the first place. Yeah, you have to be a good model to be a good subject. You have to be a little vulnerable. And, um, you know, you you mentioned it being kind of like a scene. Uh, I've shot some photos a couple of weeks ago in Dallas, Texas. And one of the doms 
Um, I was, this is just the way that the thing, uh, worked out. I was Mm -hmm. laying on the ground and the Dom was standing over me and her big thing is ball busting. And so what she did is, you know, I've got a wide angle lens. I can kind of see everything. I became the, I used myself as part of the subject and she put her foot on my crotch. Now she's not doing anything. It's just there. We're just creating an image, but you know, it's kind of like a scene a little bit Mm -hmm. um, in that we're exploring this thing and trying to create these really cool images. And, you know, I've in some way, in one way or another have been kind of part of the subject of the, the deal. That's one example. I've also had, submissives who had, or I mean, models that they might not have even been submissives, but, uh, they had a collar on and a leash and I would hold the leash, you know, in front of the camera lens and stuff. So you do, I mean, particularly fetish photography, you do kind of get, sometimes I kind of get involved in the scene. Nothing really happens there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is very much like a scene. You're absolutely right. And just like in a scene, the more you're in tune with each other, what I call telepathy, mm-hmm. the better your stuff is. If I think of something and I'm about to say, hey, would you move to the left there a little bit or would you try this? And they do it without me saying it. That's the telepathy. Mm-hmm. And that's always what I try to get to with models. And I get to that with about, let's say, half of the models way where, where They just, you know, through communication and trying to encourage them and make them, you know, feel confident and in the moment, if they start doing things that I'm thinking, Hey, what, what if they did this, then that's the, you know, that's the connection that I shoot for. Some people are very, very nervous throughout the entire deal. And, uh, you know, you just do the best you can with them. I did a video podcast with Temptress Raven Eve who is an amazing pro dom from here in Ohio. And it was the first time I had done a video podcast. So I took the camera up there, actually took two cameras up there and shot it in a different way. It wasn't just a wide shot. I used a couple different angles. And the first segment was basically just me talking to her. I sat down uh, by her throne. She was in her throne and we talked. And the second segment, I said, where do you want to shoot it? And she goes, come on over here. (laughs) And she puts me in a sex swing (laughs) with my legs up in the air. Right. And I am asking her every question between my legs. (laughs) So I will give the audience a little bit of a preview because on the 27th of January, in just a couple weeks here, I will be debuting part two of the Temptress Raven Eve interview. And she turns it up a notch. (laughs) Segment one was on the St. Andrew's Cross. Okay. Segment two, I'm in a full straight jacket with a full hood asking (laughs) questions through the hood. In segment three, she's using me as a footstool in a spandex body bag with a full hood over top of me that's unzipped <laughs> so I can ask the questions. <laughs> that's the way what, to control a, an interview, huh? 
But what it allowed me to do is not only talk about her origin story, but I was able to talk about how I'm feeling as well, because it wasn't a scene. It was an interview. Sure. But my fear of hoods, mm. the art of subspace. It was just so much fun doing that. And when I went up to shoot it with her, she, I, I don't think she had anything planned, but she was just kind of like, I think we're going to do this and make it more fun. <laughs> so I said to her as I left, because we did some reshoots yesterday, as I left, I said, well, I can only imagine what a part three would be like. <laughs> and we both kind of shook our heads. <laughs> it may be the first interview where I'm tapping out something. I right. don't know. Right. But I digress. <laughs> the art part of what you do. Obviously, if you're a good photographer, you know the good structure and you know the way the eye goes towards certain things. When it comes to fetish art, where do you start? Where does the brush go first? Right. I mean, it depends on whether it's a it's portrait art or whether it's a scene that I come up with on my own. And I, like, I have a, I have a book here, which is a, like a journal where I keep track of, like, I will see things. I mean, I'm online all day long and I'm kind of involved in this stuff. Um, you know, I'm not in a, a cubicle in a, in a office building or something. So I'm exposed to these sort of things all the time. And I will think about a scene or a certain thing that a attracts me and I will write it down. Mm -hmm. So if it's a, if it's with a portrait then I start with the person. I have to look at the, you know, I have to look at the the photos and the ideas that they have and try to come up with whatever it is. You know, it's a custom piece. I try to come up with something that, that, you know, depending on what they want. And sometimes they want, you know, kind of a depiction of whatever they have in that photo, but they want it artistically rendered. And then sometimes they're like, I have no idea. I want to be on Mars uh, you know, whipping a, you know, this alien or something, you know, and so then, <laughs> you know, then you got to figure it out. And uh, that's closer to the way it is when I'm doing my own, you know, kind of erotic fetish stuff, which is, it starts with the idea. And then I go out and I start looking, you know, for things that I can, that I can use in this case, like the background or lighting or outfits or something like that and see if I can't create kind of a, I guess they call it a mood board. Now you just mm -hmm. kind of get a bunch of things together. And then, you know, I just start sketching. I just put, you know, I, I do stuff now uh, digitally. And the wonderful thing about that is that you can do like a, you know, a real light sketch and then you create another layer and then you sketch on top of that and then you create another layer. And I'll do that about three or four times until I get it pretty tight and then I'll ink it and then I will um, color it. Um, you know, before you would have to, if, if you're doing it on paper, you have to do it really light and then you might have to kind of erase some stuff mm -hmm. and then you're then you're fighting against the medium, you know, if you erase too much stuff or you make stuff too dark, then it, that ends up in your final piece and stuff. Uh, what's really nice about doing stuff digitally is that you can, you know, you can kind of eliminate those 
first few phases um, just by putting them on other layers and then just not showing them in the final piece. But for me, it starts with just kind of looking for inspiration and then just, you know, getting to the sketching. As we tape this, I'll call it the issue of AI is being talked about all mm -hmm. over the place. Yes. But when it gets down to it, AI doesn't have the soul. Sure. AI doesn't have the emotion that you can bring to a piece of art. Right. Has there been a case where you have put something to canvas or to paper and it has affected the way you think to the point where you're going, I need to figure out how this is going to work for me. How am I going to get to be involved in something like this? Because I know a lot of people see pictures and they go, I dream of being put in this position or oh, yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, look, this goes back to what you're describing goes back to when I was 13 years mm -hmm. old and not doing it professionally. I was doing it for myself. I was exploring these things and I took my fantasies and created them either through writing scenes or through drawing the scene or, or both. And that general process is exactly what I'm doing right now mm -hmm. is is the same sort of thing. I will think of stuff and then figure out kind of how I'm going to portray that. Um, has it worked the opposite direction? I'm not so sure that, I mean, usually it's, I'm interested in this. And so I'm going to figure out how to portray this. Mm -hmm. uh, usually by the time that it's in its finished form, it's been through my mind many, many, many <laughs> times before it gets there. It's usually not a revelation, but uh, you know, it, when I do get to the end of a thing lately, at least artistically speaking, I have arrived at a look and a style that I didn't initially mm -hmm. intend. I'm now going, you know, off the grid. I'm going off the, the, the road that I have set out, which is wonderful because then it becomes like a surprise for me. Like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, I, I just went with my heart and tried this thing. And by the way, again, digital, digital art is really great for that because if I make a mistake, I can just kind of do mm -hmm. it all over again. I don't ruin the entire canvas or the, the piece, which has allowed me to stretch myself and get to that point. So yeah, sometimes at least stylistically, mm -hmm. I do surprise myself with the way that things turn out. And then I try to reverse engineer it so I can, <laughs> so I can do it again. Has a Dom ever come to you and said your artwork or your photography inspired me to do something? Wow. I got a great, I got a great deal. I, I'm not going to use the, the name um, because I don't know how much I'm supposed to, but the, I had a recent, I had a client contact me and say that he, I mean, he was in a, a dynamic where he was dominant and, he had a submissive uh, girlfriend or wife and she was kind of interested in being exploring dominance with him. And so she went away for a certain period of time and he contacted me and said, look, I want you to imagine her as a dom. 
I want you to put her into a scene. He said, don't put me in the scene, but put her in with like another figure. And she's really into kind of CBT and this sort of thing. She's interested in it. I don't have any pictures of her as a dominant woman. All I have are, you know, like tons of photos and stuff of her as a submissive woman. But I want you to imagine her as a dominant woman using kind of these certain things that was kind of in her background. Mm -hmm. So I did this picture and he got this, this thing. And, you know, I mean, this is, a, this is almost like the, the figure being on Mars and fighting an alien or something, because mm -hmm. none of it exists. I mean, I couldn't even, you know, I couldn't even get an idea particularly of her, of the way her body would be because she hadn't, I mean, there weren't any pictures of her standing up, right? There weren't any pictures of her being in a dominant mode. So um, he took the picture, he got it printed for her and did something that I wish every person who gives these illustrations as gifts to someone, he videotaped it mm. when she, when she opened the thing up and she, she started crying when she got this thing and she goes, how did, how did you get my face in this? You know, because it looked, you know, it looked like her and stuff, but it was obvious it was not her. It didn't exist. You know, there wasn't any pictures or there wasn't a scenario like this. She didn't have the outfit. I mean, not, none of it was real except her face. And um, since then, it's been two or three months. On the weekends, the two of them have begun to switch roles. And now she's talking about being a professional dominatrix. Wow. So something that did not exist beforehand has now become, the fantasy has become reality. And both of them have come and said, thank you for this interpretation, because it was the thing that got the ball rolling on this. Art creates life. Yes. That, th uh, that was one of the most fun things that I've ever experienced before, because, yeah, I got to be a small part of something that literally changed someone's life. You have given me a lot to think about, especially in a class that I teach at conferences and sometimes online, which is telling your story with authenticity. Mm. And the gist of it is if you are present in a scene and you are able to take that scene and put it into words and share it back with the person who played with you, that scene never goes away. And I talk about the mirror view versus the camera view. Mm. That when people look at themselves in the mirror, they're seeing something that's distorted. True. They do not see a true representation of themselves. Yeah. The camera view isn't necessarily how everybody else sees you, but it is that true representation. Well, Dirk, you've just added a third to this which is the artistic view, mm. seeing yourself as you never imagined, mm. but bringing it to life to be able to see yourself like to, that. To match, yeah, to match the vision. Sure. 
That's phenomenal. Thank you for giving me such a wonderful oh, well, gift to think about. <laughs> thank you for thank you for saying that. That's awesome. It's amazing. Talk to me about what it's like to be handed the best fetish photographer award at FetishCon. Mm. You know, twenty years ago, I sat out and did. Um, you know, I no one knew who the hell I was twenty years ago, and I sat down and I had a set of goals that I set for myself. This is what I would be doing and this is what I wanted to achieve and that sort of thing. I was at the very beginning of both BDSM and doing photography. And I wanted to achieve a certain level of, you know, whatever, acclaim, notoriety. And I wanted to be known outside of Oklahoma <laughs> ironically, I'm probably known better in the UK than I am in my home state, which is the craziest thing mm-hmm. ever. I mean, people know who I am over there and, you know, I'm walking down the street here and no one knows who the hell I am. Um, I set out those goals and winning that award for the first time was the culmination of, of the goals that I set up. And so it was Amazing. And you have to realize that in this business, there's not a lot of awards. You don't get a lot of accolades that there needs to be. I mean, I maybe I should come up with something to, to give out things for people who are doing creative. I mean, look, if you're a cam model, if you're a porn star, there are awards for sure. But if you do writing or photography or art in this realm, not many opportunities to win something. And many of those awards are popularity contests. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Like I know that my podcast, and I know your podcast has won awards, but I don't even want to put in my podcast for an award because it's I'm not looking for a popularity contest. Right. I'm looking for well-produced, great interviews. Oh my gosh, you need to listen to this. Sure. Um, and so... I think there's definitely room in the industry for awards like that, where you're when best scene is like, wow, this was amazing to watch. Not, well, she happened to have the biggest this or whatever. And a right. bunch of guys going, how many times can I hit like <laughs> to do that? You'd have to get a quorum of people together mm-hmm. and you would have from all different, you know, d- diverse and, and from, different uh, geographical locations, et cetera. And you'd have to say, who is it that really did something amazing this year? Uh, look, it's a great idea. It, it's something that should be done for sure. Um, again, there's just not much of that out there. So in my case, I was really happy to get some sort of recognition besides people going, you know, I like your, I like your photography mm-hmm. or I like your art, which is awesome, by the way. But it was nice to have something to hang your hat on. For us to be named the official podcast of FetishCon blew me away because I sent them this idea saying, hey, I'd like to do this sort of stuff. And they said, yes, and you're the exact person we want to do it. And I'm like, how? <laughs> and they said, your reputation. Uh-huh. I said, you all haven't known me that long. They said, all we had to do, John, is watch you walk around and having seeing the people introducing you 
not right. you introducing yourself to everyone. Right. And yeah. I was like, wow. So I was very honored by that. And so I'm I'm hoping to see you back at the Fetish Awards because it would be nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, look, COVID screwed everything up. And, uh, you know, over the last few days, we've seen the problem with travel and the craziness that goes on. Uh, so anyway, I would love to be out there and uh, I hope to soon. That sounds wonderful. We're going to take a break. And when we come back on what women and other wonderful humans want, we're going to get to talk about connections. And no, it's not the kind you find on the dating app, but LinkedIn you might when we come back. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think, and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. You all know I love my cat suits and the ones that have never let me down come from the amazing winter fetish. I've had some of them for 10 years and they're still going strong. Specifically made for fetish play, these suits come in only the best spandex or PVC with zippers made for action. You've seen them in the House of Lord and it's always sunny in Philadelphia and now these suits can be yours. And if you use the code www.spandexcat, you get 10% off your purchase and you support the show as well. And as always, I give you this promo because I believe in what Winter Fetish does. So visit winterfetish.com and use the promo code www.spandexcat and get the cat suit of your dreams from Winter Fetish. Hi there, I'm Nookie. My pronouns are she, hers, and I'm the founder of Dating Kinky, a different kind of dating and educational site for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Catch me in my own podcast, Dating Kinky. And now back to John and their guest on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. And thank you, Nookie. And welcome back to the show, joined by Dirk Hooper from Oklahoma, where he has this entire empire that happens to come out of this beautifully lit studio where I know where the studio is and it's just kind of funny, but <laughs> you have developed this beautiful industry of Dirk Hooper 
And one of the things that you love to do, and we talked about in the first five, is bring people together in networking. Tell me the genesis of that idea and tell me how it manifests itself to help everybody get to know each other. Right. I mean, I've if if you do stuff for an adult audience, and I have been doing, you know, content for adult audiences for over 20 years now, you realize that it is difficult to get the message out because particularly social media, but also everything is aligned against you. Banking's lined against you. Uh, you know, broadcasting is aligned against you. Social media is aligned against you. Everything is a slog. No one wants to, like, if you want to do an ad or something, forget it. Google ads is not going to let you do it. Facebook ads is not going to let you do it. Every, every avenue that you have to easily get promotion or to get some traction is not available. So long ago, back when I first started doing this, I had to learn how to help myself at first and then moved into helping other people get their message out to the public. And you can't do it in conventional ways. You have to do it in a different way. And through that experience of, again, doing my own, you know, I'm putting out uh, fetish photography and, and stuff, um, and podcasts that are aimed at a, you know, at an adult audience. And then, um, like I had a couple of 24 seven relationships with professional dominatrices and part of my servitude to them was helping them with their marketing and promotion. So I had a ground floor first person view of what was happening and what worked and what didn't work. And about, let's see, almost 10 years ago now, I lost my regular day job, a job that I, that was pretty good. And that I thought that I would probably be in for the rest of my life. Cause it was, you know, it was, it had an insanely good uh, perks and stuff. Um, when I lost that, I decided I was going to take a shot at doing that professionally. And it started out actually not doing it for the adult community. I started working for um, a guy who ran a local um, pharmacy and he needed help with what he was doing. And through PR and through doing his social media and through writing articles and getting stuff in the local paper and in the local news and that sort of thing. I took his business from, I, I tripled his, the amount of people that were coming into his business. So, you know, it worked with that. And while I'm doing that, I hung my shingle on, you know, the adult social media and I began to take clients, predominantly professional dominatrices, because that's kind of my, that's kind of my crowd. I kind of know that again from multiple directions. And um, since then have helped all kinds of people, you know, kind of in that community, uh, cam models and, and, you know, fetish models and, uh, you know, just about everything that you can imagine. And that's also, you know, companies, toy companies, adult toy companies. Uh, 
um, and uh, people who are, you know, producing content and that sort of thing. And I've been doing that under the banner of sexy networking. What an amazing passion and opportunity to do, because I know what it's taken myself to be able to even reach out. And people have said to me, and I don't think I've ever said this on the show, how do you get your guests? And I say, I email them. Yeah. Can't be that easy. Well, yeah, it is because for every one yes, I have 10 people that ignore me. Yep. It's incredible. At some point, it turned around. I think it was right after FetishCon where people, I had one dominatrix come to me and says, I'd like to be on your show. Mm -hmm. Where do you know me from? Oh, I've heard the show. And then you're like, Really? Yeah, then it switches. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but as we try to grow this business, as you said, everything is working against us. So we almost mm. have to be our own our own army of marketing ourselves. And what you talked about, social media, photography, everything you did for the pharmacy branding is in its essence storytelling absolutely and visual storytelling sure and the beautiful part of my 35 years in television is everything was based on visual storytelling (laughs) right so when you say that it's just like i you're you're talking my language (laughs) And I'm, I just so admire you for taking the leap and doing what you believed you could do, and you're doing it. There's not a lot of people in the world that can say that. That's true. That's true. I've been blessed to, you know, to do this. So you talked about having 24-7 relationships or dynamics. Sure. I've only had one submissive male on the show ever until now, because I understand you kind of go towards the submissive side in your kink world. What makes you happy? Well, let me say that I have been both dominant and submissive over the, the 20 years, but I do not see myself as a switch. Um, and the reason why is because, it depends on who I'm with. If I'm with a dominant woman, then I'm submissive and I don't get into relationships thinking I'll be in there for a month or a year. I figure I'll be this for the rest of my life. (laughs) And if I get into a relationship with a submissive woman, then I figure I'll be dominant for the rest of my life. Mm. So um, I can play both roles though. And each serves different things. But if you want to talk about kink in general, what makes me happy is connection. It's connection with that person. And kink is a way like, uh, you know, about 10 years ago, I stopped doing vanilla dating because I'm terrible at it. I'm terrible. (laughs) I don't know how to deal with people in the vanilla dating world. I don't, my, my selection is terrible. I'm awkward. I don't know how to, I just don't know, you know, our our roles are not not laid out. (laughs) Um, 
you know, and the people that I attract in the vanilla world are not nearly as interesting or open or whatever. All of the wonderful things that I think that uh, attract people to being kinky also make them fascinating people. And so, uh, you know, now all I do is date in the kink world. It, it certainly makes a much smaller dating pool. It's very, very frustrating, particularly in Oklahoma. If I lived in Los Angeles or New York, I'd probably, mm-hmm. you know, the, the phone would probably be ringing off the hook. But it is, there is no connection even close that I have had that compares with being in a kinky relationship that allows me to go deeper and um, have more fulfilling connections than in any other method that, that I have explored. And the word connection is so important because the outside world will always, or most of the time, use the term kinky sex. But it's so much more than that. It's so much the, it's not just the binding of the wrist, it's the binding of the soul. Yeah. You know, my my favorite part of scenes are the, you know, the beginning of the scene and aftercare. (laughs) Mm. You know, not that the sex is, you know, not great, but it's that it's, the anticipation at the beginning of the scene and it's that connection there man no one's ever hugged me tighter than in during aftercare and man that makes me feel you know complete at that moment that's that's what i'm looking for i had a beautiful scene not too long ago with a woman who had organized some of the best events ever here in ohio uh, Brett Sheba and Barrick, who along with Dan and Don did Winter Wickedness and Cope. And Brett Sheba and I had a scene, and in the aftercare, it was one of the tightest hugs I've ever gotten. Yeah. And for the first time, I literally felt loved in ages. It just felt so, so right. Yeah. And so I know exactly what you mean about that aftercare. It is just like my my fitness instructor, uh, Chris Dorner of C. Dorner Fitness. I always talk about the fact that I do her aerobics. Um, she has her to step love that aer- plug. <laughs> uh, well, and she follows the show and follows awesome. me, which I think is wonderful. Um Full full disclosure, yes, I do do my aerobics workouts in full uh, leotards and tights just because it's more fun that way. <laughs> but she always talks about the fact that the stretch before and the stretch after is part of the workout. It's yeah. not just the hitting. It's literally the mental preparation. And one of the best scenes I ever had had no impact, no restraint, but it started at nine o'clock in the morning when I got a text message. And oh my God, it went all day long and I didn't see them until eight o'clock at night. Yeah. Yeah. But if it wasn't for that beautiful lead up, it wouldn't have been so amazing at that point. Yes. 
10 years down the line, what's on your bucket list between now and then? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I talked earlier about how I set up a 20-year a plan, and I did it 20 years ago mm-hmm. and felt like I nailed it. Um, my next 20-year plan, which I've been kind of working on this year, uh, so I guess it it counts for 10 years, but I mean, what I want to do is get myself into a situation where the only thing that I'm doing is uh, creative stuff, only creative stuff. And I would love to wake up every day and either write, draw, or do photography on my own time, you know, like be in a situation where if I don't get something done, you know, one day, it's okay. It's okay. It's all right for me to explore creatively because I have, uh, you know, passive income set up uh, where I I don't have to worry about that. I think that would be, uh, hopefully over the next 20 years, I will get into uh, a place where my life is 100% filled with, with creativity. And right now it sounds like it's 100% filled with joy. It is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a great place to leave it. Dirk Hooper, thank you so much for being with us on the program. Hey, thank you for having me. Great questions. Uh, I appreciate it. What an amazing man Dirk Hooper is. So very talented. And if you check out DirkHooper.com, you have an opportunity to see much of his work and get to learn more about this fascinating man. I enjoyed getting to know him, and I have a hunch we're going to run into each other a few times along the way. Maybe a joint project or two. Now that sounds nice. Here's what's coming up on the next edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Next week, it is the return of the founder of the Den of Iniquity and the founder of the Dominatrix Hall of Fame. Mistress Tara Indiana makes a return visit to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. A new edition of the show premieres next Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Dirk Cooper for being a wonderful part of this show, and thanks to you for being our wonderful audience. I'm John, also known as Hi There Catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time. And I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. Join us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1, on Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast, for our kinky friends on FetLife at WWWPodcast, and now select shows are available in video format at YouTube.com slash dating kinky this has been a presentation of dating kinky built by kinksters for kinksters poly queer trans folk and anyone not quite vanilla and it's free hi dawn hi dan recently we put together a brand new book called hearts and collars reflecting 20 years in a power exchange relationship it's 350 pages of what we've been living for the past 20 years Indeed, and it's got chapters like communication, power exchange and spirituality, how to be a leader, high protocol, 
Becoming a Follower, Rituals, The New Porch Time, Victim, Survivor, and Thriver, Power Exchange and Polyamory, Submissive versus Wife, The Practical Contract Guide, Relationship short Shorthand, as well as other tools and experiences we've had over the years. Check it out at eroticawakening.com slash hearts and collars. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dawn. Well, hi there, catsuit. This is Jacqueline Powers, and yes, I really am back, recording new hypnosis files again on YouTube and also on Patreon for the more adventurous fans out there. And John, I really enjoyed coming on your show so much and finding out that you had your very own experience with my hypnosis files. So, if you want to learn more about how I got started with online hypnosis, all you have to do is just listen to my interview on the What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want podcast.